0: How you guys doing? Cool. We are starting a brand new series today entitled "Some Questions Can't Be Answered by Google." We're gonna have a great time with this. Um, the reason why we're doing this series is really very simple. Uh, so many times, you know, I went to seminary, and uh, the, I, what I found out is a lot of Christians, uh, um, especially educated Christians answer questions that people just really aren't asking and we never want to be a church that doesn't really answer real questions that you guys are dealing with so for the next three maybe four Sundays just depending upon how well you keep on keep those questions coming we're going to be able to answer your questions God willing and uh, we're gonna have a fun time playing stump the chomp all righty y'all ready to do this? all right cool um, while uh, y'all go ahead and start texting your questions, uh, while you're texting, I'm going to introduce uh, these guys around me. It's going to a little bit be a little bit harder to stump the chump when there's more than one chump. Right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Danny Brouillet, uh is uh, he is a uh, he just graduated from Luther Rice Seminary. About when did you graduate? Actually, I walked through graduation on Friday. This Friday. Whoa! Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Uh, Danny and I have known each other for probably 20 years. He's also an assistant DA, so you know what that means, don't you? Stop it. <laughs> Cut it out. All right. Another friend, a friend of mine, his name is Nick McManus, and Nick and I have known each other for probably two, two and a half years now. And uh, he just graduated uh, six, eight months ago, I think, from Boyce, uh, which is an undergraduate with uh, Southern Seminary. So y'all give it up for Nick. That's your mom. So. Oh, yeah, you must be here. And, uh, and my name's Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. All right, cool. All right, let's get started. and We're just going to kind of tell you how the format's going to go. We're just doing this roundtable. Um, we have not... Uh, we ended up prepping some questions for the first service because they're a little bit slower. Um, they're still wiping the sleep out of their eye. We've got enough questions so we don't need prep. So we've not had any... Grunt work up to this point, we're just, I mean, it's just kind of flying flowing. So um, anyway, uh, so we're just going to go ahead and start out. Roundtable discussion, you're going to find that I interrupt people a lot, and they can interrupt me as well. Is that cool? We'll see. Uh, <laughs> already then. All right, first question. If we forgive, how can I forget or find peace? Uh, I think this was a question that we got last, uh, last week. Um, about this. this was a gr- great, great question. Um, can you really forgive someone if you don't really forget it? How many of you all have heard the term forgive and forget? All right. Um, I would say this. That is not a biblical term. Um, This is what's so amazing. Everything, if God, if he forgave us of whatever we've done, our sin, then we have to compare our forgiveness to his. And, of course, when that happens, we really fall short. Um, It says in Psalm 103, verse 11, that uh, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Um, But nowhere in the Bible does it say that God forgets our sin. If He forgot our sins, then He wouldn't be omniscient. Now, that's kind of a really big theological churchy word. That just means He knows it all. Everybody say that. He knows it all. God knows it all. And if God knew it all and then chose to not know it all, then He really wouldn't... Know it all, right? So it's kind of a no-brain. So, can you really forgive without forgetting? And I would say yes, you can. The biblical word for forgiveness means to let somebody off the hook. To if it's the the most practical way I can say this is if somebody owes you money, and if you forgave them, they would no longer owe you money. So, um, you, somebody may have done something very harmful to you. You can forgive without forgetting. Because you just can't mentally erase it, but what you can do is you can choose not to focus on that. Another great verse, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, um, uh, show love and compassion to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. Now how did Christ forgive us? Well, he doesn't bring it up anymore. So if somebody has hurt you and you say you've forgiven them, you don't go there anymore. You don't bring it up anymore. You don't continue. There's an old Garth Brooks song. Forgive me. It says, you bury the hatchet, but you leave the handle sticking out. That's not forgiveness. All right. Uh, if you bury the hatchet, it's buried. So y'all have any, um, y'all have any things you want to comment on that? Not, <laughs> not Garth about Brooks burying up. the hatchet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I would say though, when we talk about forgiving, how do we uh, forgive and forget and find peace? To me, one of the, the critical issues there is who are you focused on? As long as you focus on the wrong that was done to you, you will never forgive because you're still feeling about the hurt that you're suffering. And, and the biblical example, I think, you know, Jesus even told a parable about the issue of it's not so much what was done to you, but how much wrong I have done. Maybe not to the person that offended me, but to many, how much that I have done against God. When I take my focus off myself and what was done to me, and I think about how much sin that I have done and what God has forgiven I can forgive others
0: because of what God has forgiven me. And that's the reason why he's up here, fellas. Very good. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I found out in the first service that they do a lot better answering these questions than I do. So, all right, next question. That's good. What does the Bible say about gossip? Oh, that's a good one. Who wants to take that one? take it it, baby don't (laughs) 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 next no (laughs) (laughs) joke
2: um no the
0: the bible makes it pretty clear that the words that we
3: use um should pretty much they should always be for building people up um for constantly growing people closer to god closer in relationship to us um and there's just something about gossip that uh that seems to destroy relationships um and I've, I've even heard it said that sometimes even good gossip um you know talking talking about people in a good way um and sharing information that they may not want shared um is actually in itself um not beneficial to relationships but uh more importantly i think it's this question is probably about gossip that we're used to thats bad underhanded gossip and uh bible makes it pretty clear that it's uh it's not part of
0: a christian's life so well, the reason why I have my laptop appears I'm able to just type in stuff and it gets me good Bible verses. Proverbs eleven thirteen A gossip goes around revealing secrets, so don't hang out with a gossip. A troublemaker's plant uh, plants seeds of strife. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight And gossip separates the best of friends. How many of y'all have been? You've had a, a busted up relationship because of gossip. Anyone? That's almost everyone. So Nick has some great counsel. Don't.
1: You know, I think we tend to think of gossip as one of the minor sins. Mm-hmm. In in our writing of sins, we just do that. We think of it as one of the minor sins, but the Bible never speaks of it in that fashion at all. Oh, it's it's hate is what it pulls right down. It's hate and it's destructive. And it we think of it as minor, but God doesn't. And it's not minor in its impact.
0: Romans one twenty nine says, and he lists a bunch of sins. All right. Listen to this. Their lives uh, became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. So you want to list murder and gossip, he puts them right in there together. Great, great point, Dan. Next question. It takes three screens. Okay. Somebody had a really long text. Oprah was turned off by Exodus 20, verse 5. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Why is God jealous of me? Um, okay, I, I can hit this one. Do you mind if I take this one? Go for it. All right, cool. We talked about this in Hosea. Um, it, it, when we worked on Hosea in February and March. Um, in fact, they even brought up Oprah in this time. You know, Oprah says she stopped believing in God because she thought God was jealous of her. You all need to know this. God is not jealous of anyone. God don't need anything that Oprah has. All right? And let me say this. God don't need anything that you have. God is not jealous of Oprah, but he is jealous for her. God wants a relationship with Oprah, and he wants a relationship with Geraldo, and he wants a relationship with you. So this whole thing of jealousy and how can I follow a God that is jealous of me? He ain't jealous of you. He's jealous for you and he wants he wants a, such a, a loving relationship with you and he gets frustrated. He even gets angry, it says in Hosea, when we choose to make him second and we give our love to other things. Y'all, have anything you want to add to that? I was just going to say the same thing. If you actually look at
3: the first part of that verse, it says, you shall not worship them or serve them. He's talking about other gods. Um, it's actually the first commandment. Um, it's where it's found. Um, and that's what God really is jealous of is he's... He wants us to love him more than anything else. And God's place is first, whether we actually believe that or whether we live by that or not. He is first. And uh, when we put something else in front of it, he's jealous for that position. He wants his position back. And uh, that's that's what that verse really means. So
1: I think we, we think of jealous as a negative thing because it is within our flesh. Most of the time it's a negative thing. God is jealous because He loves us, and He knows what's best for us. And He knows that Him having first place in our hearts and our lives is what's best for us. He's jealous that He will be first in our lives because He loves us so much. It's a jealousy that is, is out of pure love, and it's a pure jealousy. And it is one of the best things about God. He cares so
0: much for us. That's right. Very good. Cool. That was good. All right. Taters on that one. (laughs) I forgot what that means. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next question. I'll tell you what. Um, Can Christians live a homosexual lifestyle? Oh, wow, that's a great, great question. Great question.
1: (laughs) I'm going to start that. I'll start the discussion. People ask me all the time, can you be sued for something? The answer is always yes. You can sue somebody for anything. Can, Can Christians live a homosexual lifestyle? I think the answer is, practically speaking, yes, some do. The Bible certainly speaks against homosexuality and says that it is a sin, just as it speaks against adultery, just as it speaks against uh, greed, just as it speaks against gossiping, many other sins. Homosexuality is not different in that sense. It is a sin, and God does not want us to live in sin and to practice sin. The Bible says that we, you know, in 1 in, in John, he talks about it. He says, you know, if we say that we know God and we have a relationship with God, but we practice sin. We live in sin. It says you're a liar.
0: Mm, mm. and you know, That's a tough passage. That is a very tough passage. Everyone, this is where um, I, there are two extremes on this. And I, I, I want to hear us say this. We can never, ever compromise on the Bible. That's the right. Bible says clearly that homosexuality is a sin. Romans chapter 1, um, verse uh, 21 through 32 talks about that. Leviticus 18, 22 uh, and so many other different passages. But one of the things, I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago that the biggest thing that Christians are known for is that we're anti-homosexual. Um, you know, homosexuality is a sin, but it's just like the sin of drunkenness, of gluttony, of gossip, of pornography, of all this other stuff. And we have a tendency to categorize sin. And God says, no, i died for all sin. So uh, let me say this that if you're struggling with that, you're in a safe place. Um, we're going to love you just like we love everybody else because we're all sinners, myself included. But you need to know this, that you won't be, you will be experiencing God's best for your life. You will be choose, choosing something much, much less if you choose to follow sin and not cho- choose to follow God's perfect plan on that. You have anything you want to add to that? All right with that. All right, cool. All right, next question. Okay, well, this is a good one. I'll, I'll state it and then we can answer How can you serve God while suffering depression? Who wants that?
1: Let me start. Sure. Uh, in the last five, ten years of my life, I, for the first time I have really had an experience with dealing with depression. In myself and in, and in family members and in what's close. And I think in, in a sense, we almost think of depression as we say, oh, how can you be depressed and be a Christian? Well, almost, that's kind of what the question implies a little bit that's there. How can you serve God and suffer with depression? People do it all the time. I mean, that, that's the practical answer. That's true. David wrote many of the Psalms out of sheer depression. When I mean, you read those songs, it's a description of depression. You know, And he talks about that. And the, the key there in dealing with that, well, and David was one of those that did it, he would quote God's word. Back to himself all the time, right. and would talk about it, You would think about it. You know, uh, it is something that we all will struggle with at some point in our lives. After I had bypass surgery, I went through six or eight months of just terrible depression. I didn't understand it, didn't know how to deal with it at all, and it, and I and it, it did this to me a little bit. And I've had friends tell me even more. It made them feel like they just didn't have any connection with God at all. There's an issue there that you deal. With. Depression's real, and it causes real. Uh, physical problems in our lives and emotional and difficulties in our spiritual relationship. How do we live with it? You know, we get into God's Word, we feed ourselves upon His Word, and we, we uh, get in with other believers, and we work through it. I, that's one of those, you got to work through it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not really an easy answer. No. Um, I think, I, I mean, right when you were talking, I started going to Psalms. Because, I mean, literally, about a third of the Psalms is written and the the person who's writing them is just struggling mm-hmm. struggling, and so many times I think we think that once we begin that relationship with Jesus that all of our struggles will go away, and they don't and uh you know when, when we think they're just going to magically evaporate, we're going to set ourselves up uh, we're going to set ourselves up with some false expectations and and uh it's very easy to get depressed. I would say this if you're struggling with depression, you need to treat it spiritually, you need to stay in God's word, you need to be in a communion group because they're going to help you with that. But also, I would encourage you, you might want to uh, uh, find a trusted a counselor to be able to talk with you, uh, talk with you through some of these issues, because there also may be a chemical imbalance as well that they can be able to, to help you with that as well. So I would encourage you to, to treat it medically, treat it uh, psychologically, and also, especially, treat it spiritually.
3: Anything you want to add? Uh, I was just going to say um, this, this issue in particular, it seems to me. Um, that a lot of, obviously, where depression stems from is things in our lives that are not going the way that we had hoped or the way that um, we would wish. And uh, the most encouraging message that we have is, is that God loved us enough to die for us. And um, the wonderful part of that, I guess, is, is that we realize um, that we shouldn't focus so much on the things that aren't going well in our lives, but we should be able to just focus on God. Um, and I know that sounds... It sounds kind of churchy, but in the same breath, um, we have the most encouraging message. Like, how can you not be encouraged by the message that we've been given um, and the salvation that we've been given and the hope that we have for the future? Uh, even if things aren't going the way that you would planned or the way that you would want, um, that God, uh, just like Josh was saying this morning, God, God does things for the good of those who love him. And uh, the times that we go through, we just have to be encouraged that there's something more that's going to come from this. Um, that God is far more concerned about your spiritual welfare, possibly, than your emotional or your physical welfare. And that means that you're going to go through some issues um, to bring God to where he wants you spiritually. And uh, that message in itself is encouraging,
1: I think. You know, I I think I would just add, too, we don't always know the reasons for depression, and certainly we don't know all of them, but I'll tell you one thing. Satan is the father of lies. Satan wants to tell you lies, and he will, to keep you depressed. And that's part of the problem with depression he lies to us all the time. What we have to do is stand on God's word and on God's truth. Sure. Uh, Chris preached from Habakkuk a couple of weeks ago. I absolutely love the end of the book of Habakkuk because the end of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk talks about though all these things are going wrong, though all this is bad, and though I don't see what's going to be, he says, "Yet I will trust in my God." You know, and it's re- it's that right. issue. We stand on the truth, and the truth we get from God's word. And if we listen to Satan, he is going to leave us depressed, deceived. And we need to stand on the truth. And, and sometimes that means standing on what you don't feel at all. Absolutely. That's
0: a great point. Because I'm telling you, there's sometimes we allow our feelings to dictate our actions. And that has to stop. So, Romans 8.1 says that if you're in Jesus Christ, you will, you will receive no condemnation. And if you feel like you're being condemned, that's not God doing that if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ. It is Satan. And you may feel it, but that's where you go to God's word and you allow his word to change your feelings. Now, all right, okay, this is a long question. All right, um, I understand we tithe in faith. However, what if, what if we live paycheck to paycheck? Does God want us to live without so, uh, just so that we can tithe? What what does he want us to do? And that's a good question. Anybody, y'all want to take that? I'm, I'm okay with taking this one, I guess.
3: Take it, man. that's all right. Yeah. Um, out of all the things in the Bible that God um, told us to do, there's one time that he says to test me in this. And that one time is in Malachi chapter 3 concerning money. And it is, bring your tithes to the storehouse, bring your offerings to the storehouse. And he's talking about the temple and the use um, for um, benevolence, I guess, or, uh, you know, just giving out. Um, doing his work, um, and that's the only place in the Bible he says, "Test me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven." Um, so this idea of um, living paycheck to paycheck, and I completely understand that, um, but we we also have to realize that sometimes, especially in this country, and um, that we say we live paycheck to paycheck, but we still we still live um, in ways that are very comfortable. And uh, sometimes, you know, not going out to eat a couple times a week um, is okay to give up. And I, I can guarantee that the spiritual benefits and, um, you know, it's not necessarily, I'm not going to tell you God's going to give you the money back because he may very well not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't think you won't be blessed if you're faithful in the things that God calls us to do. So.
1: And I was thinking about that. The last half of that question says, does God want us to live without just so we can tithe? And, and I started thinking, you know, Jesus one time was watching the rich and the poor give, and he watched this woman give her last, uh, the widow's mite. I think we talked about that. She gave. She didn't just give uh, part of what she had. She didn't just give a little bit. She gave what she all that she had, and Jesus commended that very much, very much so. And he said, uh, you know, that she had given more than all those. It's easy to give when you have your your budget and you set it up, and you make a, and you've got your income and you've got a lot of income left over. It's easy to give. It's real easy to give in that situation. Much more difficult to give uh, in a setting where you're giving from. It's sacrificial giving. But that's exactly what God commends us for.
0: And I also think there's a there's an aspect of this is your attitude as you're giving. I mean, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, so if you're giving that 10% and you're mumbling under your breath, mm, 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 you know, um, you know, that's not what God wants. God wants, uh, it's so clear that the Bible connects the heart with treasure. So. Josh is
1: reminding us from the back. That we're supposed to let them run three questions. The
0: crowd clap for it. All right, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to run uh, the next three questions. And whichever one you really want us to answer, we want you to clap. All right? Let's go to the first one. Some. Oh. <laughs> How do you... uh, Okay. Um, All right. Let's do these again so that we've seen them all. Uh, How many of y'all wants to do behind door number one? Door number two. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. And door number three. All righty. This is the first time that I've ever talked about masturbation in church. Um, Let me say this, um, and then we can all hop in here. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should not masturbate. Um, So that needs to be up front. There there are some principles that we find in God's Word that give us guidance on this. And I think that's, you know, the question is asked, is it okay as long as you think about your spouse? Um, you know, the question you have to do, there's two things. I want to say this. What are you thinking about? I mean, this says if you're thinking about your spouse. But a lot of times, guys or girls, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about tractors? Are you thinking about, you know, the, the Bible says very clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if a man looks lustfully at another woman, then he's already committed adultery. So you gotta, you got to think about the intent. Here's where we probably have talked a little bit about as well. Are you in this just trying to please yourself? Because that's really what masturbation, that's really the end result. And see, God gave sex, and it is good. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Yes, Lord. It is good. But he gave it um, so that we could pleasure the other person, our other a spouse. Now, let's say that. Let's put that in parameters, okay? Um, so uh, the problem with this, even though the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not, the question is, are you in it just for yourself? Um, and that's really what masturbation is, and that's where I would have a problem with it. Y'all have anything you want to say? Please, quickly. I
1: tell you, the other thing I'd add is Masturbation, I can't hardly say it in church or anywhere. It just, that's a little bit before my generation, to be honest with you, talking about it. But Sorry, it, is, it drives one of the largest, if not the largest industry in this country. And that's the pornography industry, and that's nothing that has to do with Godliness. It has absolutely nothing to do with living a life devoted to God in that sense. And so we act, like, like in our society, like it's no big deal, and it's something that's even funny, and, and we talk about it. But, you know, if it's driven by lust, and it is, then it's not godly. It's not something we should participate in.
0: Cool. All righty, cool. Uh, let's go, let's let's see where we're at on time. We can probably hit maybe one more.
2: i the never see you on your way Down the way God gave you style and gave you grace God put a smile upon your face Thanks
1: everybody
2: Last night when she slept in the shrouds, the dreams of the past seem to grow so fast. Maybe on the road class, right there with brothers and the sister. I got your boy, even when it appears this. I'm going to shout across
4: Hey guys, how we doing? Yes. All right. Three of, you, three of you are for sure awake and very loud. And the rest of you might need some help. Anyways, why don't you guys stand up? Let's uh, let's start with a word of prayer this morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. Um, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Let's give a hand to all of our mothers in the audience. Happy Mother's Day. Without you, we wouldn't be here. Literally, we wouldn't be here. Last service, I forgot to say anything about Mother's Day. I'm going to get some emails, I'm sure. So uh, let's pray, guys, and let's just uh, thank God for this day. And Jesus, we love you. Lord, and and today we just declare your greatness, God. Lord, we declare that your love is amazing. Lord, we declare that you are just great. So today, Jesus, as we worship you, God, may we worship you with freedom. Lord, just uh, open up our hearts to what you have for us today, God. As we go into your presence, God, we would just pursue you wholeheartedly today. We love you today, Jesus.
0: Amen. All right. You guys do this for me. Come on. Is there an unforgivable sin? Yes, there is. And this is found in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. Let's all go there. All right. Matthew 12, 31 through 32.
1: We're not going to take
0: three questions. I'm breaking my own rules here. Um, Matthew 12, 31 through 32 says, So i tell you, every sin and blasphemy that can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. Um. The way I see uh, the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin um, is if you end your life, if, 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 if you finish your world, you finish your time here on earth, and you've not began, you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've heard the message, and that's where some of you are at today, you know God loves you. You know what the Bible says. You, you, and, and you're just, many of you, you're just willfully saying, you know what, I'm walking away. God says, okay, I can forgive you of any other sin, but that sin, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to go to heaven. Let me tell you unequivocally, suicide is not the unpardonable sin. There are some denominations that teach that, and that is wrong. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And I know that's an important thing because in our culture, with so many soldiers coming back and struggling, some of you have lost friends because they, they just said, I, I can't do it anymore. Suicide does not get you unsaved. The only thing that God cannot forgive is the sin that has not been covered under Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. And that's when you willfully say, I am going against you, God, and I do not want your forgiveness, your covering of my sin. Y'all, have anything you want to say about that? I just the context of that passage is
1: the Pharisees were rejecting the message that Jesus proclaimed. They were constantly rejecting that message, and they were saying that he was speaking, there was a devil in him, that that he was speaking from the devil, and they were rejecting the Holy Spirit. And the context throughout all Scripture is when we willfully reject the message that God has for us, uh, we cannot be saved because we're willfully rejecting the means of salvation that he has given us that is there. And remember I said earlier, the Scripture tells us that the Spirit is the one that will convict us of sin, of righteousness, and Mm -hmm. of judgment to come. If we reject the Spirit... And the message that the Spirit is giving to us, we're rejecting God's salvation. Hence, it's unforgivable.
0: All right, this is where we're going to end, and this is how we're going to end it. Um, Some of you right now, you're thinking, you know, maybe your issue was, have I committed that unpardonable sin? Have I committed the unforgivable sin? You know, after our first service, uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know what, how can you believe in God when you can't believe in yourself? How can you have faith in God when you don't have faith in yourself? And I said, you know what? you can have faith in God because you don't have faith in yourself because we're messed up. So I think how we need to end this today is I, there are some of you that maybe you've not been in, you've not been to church in years. maybe you checked out on God a long time ago and you don't know if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You may have went down front, you may have shaken a pastor by the hand, you may have been dunked, but none of that get you into heaven. None of that pr- provides salvation for you. Only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So, we're going to end today and I'm just going to I'm going to um I'm going to let Danny explain succinctly how do you have that relationship with Jesus? Because some of you need to begin that relationship with Jesus this morning. Would you mind doing that, Danny? Sure.
1: Jesus invited us to come into a relationship with him. The scripture gives the word, the invitation in those words, it's come to me. Follow me. Right? Says, Take up your cross and follow me. Have it, Jesus talked about coming into a relationship with him. We put our trust in him. You don't have to pray a special prayer. You don't have to say a special thing. You don't have to actually believe a certain thing. You understand he's calling you to come to him. We recognize that we're sinners. We put our trust in our faith. There's nothing magical about the words that we say or even intellectual assent to that. The scripture tells us that God right, enables us and he's the one that gives new life. And he does that. What he asks of us is to come. Enter into a relationship with me. Um, I don't think I can quote it, but Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all who you are labor and are uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And that's what he wants us to do. Trust in him. Let
0: him be your Lord. And Savior. Yeah, would you mind praying for those that maybe, uh, they need to take that next step in their spiritual journey? All right. All right thanks. Uh, dear
3: heavenly father, I just, uh, I thank you God for this morning and the opportunities we've had to answer some of the questions that, uh, that people have about, uh, your word and about church and about God. Um, and, uh, I just, uh, I just appreciate this time, God. And, uh, the responsibility and the privilege to talk um, uh, to them, but God, I just ask that uh, out of all that's come about this morning, that uh, Your Word is fruitful um, in bringing about change in people's lives, God, and that the people who don't know You, um, that they would find, uh, that they, they would find You this morning, they would have the opportunity to seek after Your face and uh,
2: to know You, God, to come to You.